The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about all sorts of really important issues in privacy for 2013. And we are welcoming back a guest that we've had on seven times. This is our seventh year of Privacy Piracy, and we love our guest, Robert Ellis Smith. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. He's been on before, and he always updates to what's going on. He is the publisher of Privacy Journal, which I have gotten for many, many years. I read it every month, and I'm always delighted to read it and keep up with what's going on in privacy. He's a, a great privacy expert and a wonderful guy. And so let me tell you a little bit about Robert Ellis Smith. If you haven't heard him before, you can obviously listen to the archived interviews with him. He's a journalist who uses his training as an attorney to report on the individual's right to privacy. And he's been doing this since 1974. And he has published Privacy Journal. It's a monthly newsletter on privacy in a computer age based in, um, it's also in computer age based uh, format in Providence, Rhode Island. I've been there. It's gorgeous. Um, he is a frequent speaker, writer, and congressional witness on privacy issues, and he's compiled a clearinghouse of information on the subject, including computer data banks, um, credit and medical records, the internet, electronic surveillance, the law of privacy, and physical and psychological privacy. From 70 to 73, uh, Robert was the assistant director of the Office for Civil Rights in the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. And prior to that, he had nine years' experience as a news reporter and editor with the Detroit Free Press, Trenton Times, the Southern Courier, and Newsday. So he has taught at Harvard University, University of Maryland, Emerson College, and Brown University. And as a 1962 graduate of Harvard College, I hate to say how old you are, I'm just about a little bit younger, um, he received his law degree from Georgetown University in 1976, and he served as a member of the uh, District of Columbia Human Rights Commission in 1986. In 1997, he was Vice President Gore named him to the Civil Liberties Panel at the White House Commission on Aviation Safety and Security, and from six, 1996 to 2002, he served as Vice Chair of the Coastal Resources Management Council, which protects the 400 miles of Rhode Island coastline. You can learn more about him and especially about the Privacy Journal at privacyjournal.net. He's a great guy, and I've been so fortunate to meet him in person several times, and he's wonderful. Thank you for joining us, Bob. 
Well, it's quite a welcome. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. Oh, yeah. We always enjoy having you on. So what can we look forward to in 2013 in the world of privacy protection? Well, I think there's a couple of different areas. First, in the business sector and the consumer section, there will be an effort to try to get some sort of regulation with regard to what's called do not track. In other words, some sort of standards that would uh, allow consumers not to have their personal information follow them around the Internet when they, when they browse the web. Uh, it seems to be a lot more difficult technologically, I guess, um, maybe politically, to uh, get these uh, precautions, much like uh, the do not mail uh, requirements, which are rather simple and work pretty well, and uh, also the do not call precautions. Most people are familiar with those two and how you can uh, get off uh, those lists. But whether we'll have some restrictions on... Uh, do not track. I can't really tell. The industry, I think, is uh, is girding to a, for a fight and is, is going to try to uh, prevent their their passage. The the other issue that I'm watching is the use of drones uh, in over American cities. We've had some news about drones overseas, but uh, they're used in a civilian context as well. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have any rules and regulations about who can put up one of these unmanned uh, aircraft and fly it over a city with photography or listening devices or, God forbid, weapons. So we'll see what happens. I think it was in Oakland uh, not long ago that uh, people objected so much at a civic meeting that uh, the county was not able to procure uh, drones. Uh, Most law enforcement agencies now are saying they have to have them to keep track of uh, terrorists and the like, but uh, mainly they want them, I think, to listen in on people. So we'll see how that goes. I think those two will be the big issues of 2013. Yeah, and with regard to the the do not track, I think, you know, I love the do not call list. I mean, that's great. That has really reduced for for so many of my clients and myself about getting these horrible calls. The problem with the do not track is it's not, it it is so much more insidious to begin with because, I mean, if someone calls you, I mean, you know it, right? Right. (laughs) It's, It's not hidden. And the second thing is, you know, the Internet, you know, is free right now. And so by having them track, that's how they're getting money by by doing that. So that's that's kind of the political stuff is how do we how do we keep the Internet free and how do we do that without getting tracked so that they can you know keep track of us and sell where we're going and make it a whole marketing deal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we got to watch out for. Yeah, and I think it's it's just so hard to even tell when we're being tracked. You know, a lot of us don't even know. I, mean, I don't think you can really tell on the Internet, no. No, no. And then when you were talking about the drones, I had somebody on who talked to me about drones, I don't know, uh, several months ago, about how they are, I think it was from the Cato Institute, yeah. And they were telling me, Bob, that the, the some of these drones are so tiny with little cameras that they could come and really look right in the window at me right now in my office and, and see what I'm doing and kind of pick up on what I'm saying. So I think if, if a lot of people are not even aware of what these drones are like, could you expound a little bit more about these drones? Because I think some people, it might be totally new because they haven't seen them. Yeah, I think so. Uh, well, it began in a military context like so many of the other threats to privacy. And then people, uh, as the military winds down, the uh, People uh, take the same applications and apply it to the civilian sector. What they are, are unmanned um, aircraft. They can be in size, I guess, anywhere from uh, a foot or less 
as you pointed out, to much larger. And they can carry most anything. They are unmanned. They are controlled by remote control from the ground. Many companies now have them where if they keep track of uh, huge acreage that they might own to see whether anybody's intruding upon it uh, or uh, whether there's any vandalism going on. But many uh, towns and cities now uh, want them as well, uh, their their, uh, police departments, to uh, track uh, activities that prior to this could never be tracked because the uh, area was was so large. But what concerns me is the possibility that there will be cameras taking pictures inside our homes, as you mentioned, as a possibility, Uh, or it will be a new means of electronic surveillance, listening devices, listening in on people's conversations. And thirdly, um, you might well see some of them uh, stocked with uh, with weapons. So we have two concerns, the law enforcement use of drones and also private sector use of drones. We have no permitting, no license procedure now, so we have no idea of knowing who's got them, got them up there and who hasn't. I'm sure that we will have some sort of permitting procedure before long, but by then there will be a lot of uh, drones already up in the air, free-floating, and uh, we'll have to do a lot of catch-up to, to regulate these things. As we've learned over the years, you know, whenever you have any new technology that threatens privacy, it's so important to get the protections in place early on when the technology is in the design phrase and not to have to redesign it later on to put some privacy protections in. That, that never seems to work as well. And so that's where we are now with it. I certainly hope that uh, we can persuade the authorities to require private individuals who have unmanned uh, aircraft up there to to license them and to disclose them to everybody. Yeah, I mean, really, when you're talking about privacy by design that we've talked about with Ann Kavukian and we've talked with the people in the Federal Trade Commission, you are so 100% right. If we could, anytime new technology is created, that privacy is in, embedded into the architecture of whatever it is, whether it's, you know, the, the privacy of, you know, tracking or the privacy of these drones, what, you know, what kinds of do's and don'ts do we have, what kind of regulations do we have? It's all free-for-all right now, isn't it? Yes, it is. She calls her concept privacy by design, and that pretty much uh, yeah. says it. Uh, th- this area is totally unregulated right now. Yeah, and you know what I was thinking about? If you have too many of these drones up that are private, it could really get interfere with the, um, you know, with aviation and, and cause accidents with private planes or, or even, you know, with the... Um, like American Airlines or United Airlines, it just you know if they're not regulated, right? I mean, yeah. Just... Unfortunately, after the first accident, then there'll be a big push to try to regulate them. But it'll be the way we do so many things, you know, after the fact, and that's unfortunate because an accident could be prevented if we have sensible permitting requirements for these things. Yeah, and then of course the bad guys can get these drones too, right? Yes, they can, and, and that's worrisome if. If, um, you know, if terrorists or, or uh, criminals get these drones, what can they do? What the, how can they break in? So, again, it just it's I don't think people that most people that I talk about when I've talked about drones, they really oh drones. They really, isn't that, you know, science fiction? No, it's here, right? Yeah. Or they think it's in a military context because most of the headlines are about use of drones overseas by the U.S. government. Uh, they don't realize that they are cheap enough, small enough for private individuals to have them, for companies to have them, for law enforcement to have them. And uh, we really ought to get a, a handle on that. Uh, uh, most people, you know, think it's far-fetched to even talk about unmanned 
space, uh, uh, aircraft in American cities, but it's the reality right now. Exactly. So let's talk about some of the positive things. Were there some good things? And, and you know, obviously there were some positive things and some negative things that happened in affecting privacy in 2012. You want to tell us about the good stuff first? Well, it was good stuff from a privacy standpoint. I wrote about it in my December issue, which is at the Federal Trade Commission, which has traditionally been the lead agency for making sure companies comply with privacy requirements, has really come alive. And they've had several cases, I think, where they have uh, levied significant penalties for companies that uh, do a couple of things. One, that they claim on their website that they are wonderful boosters of computer security. And then after a few accidents happen, uh, you come to find out that they really don't have many precautions at all. So the Federal Trade Commission regards that as a violation of uh, the federal law against deception in, in commerce. And we've seen a lot of cases there, and I think we're going to see more. The, the Europeans are doing the very same thing. Um, just uh, early in the new year, the uh, Federal Trade Commission decided not to go after Google uh, on antitrust grounds. That was kind of expected, but the European officials are may well do that. Um, nonetheless, during 2012, uh, the Federal Trade Commission did go after Google, did go after MySpace, did go after Facebook. These are large players in the field. And uh, I just read a report the other day that the amount of money that these companies are devoting to lobbying in Washington is incredible, and, and they have become a major force in exerting influence on the government. But nonetheless, the Federal Trade Commission, I think, has shown that it's become truly a uh, assertive and aggressive uh, privacy compliance agency. That's good news. Um, the Congress passed a law, despite all the fiscal maneuvering and hostility there, passed a law that will help Netflix uh, circulate information about uh, people's choices of uh, of uh, DVDs, so people ought to be aware of it. We've had a law in the books for many years that prohibits companies that uh, rent videos or movies from uh, disclosing the names and the and of the customers and names of their t- titles that they rent. And we really don't know whether it applies to DVDs or not. But anyway, Congress passed a law that allows companies like Netflix to share that information unless the customer comes forward and objects. So people ought to do that if they feel strongly about it. And even if they do give their consent to uh, allow Netflix to do that, to exchange information with Facebook and others, um, with each individual title that they rent from Netflix, they're able to withdraw their consent. So presumably Netflix somewhere on their website will have a little box that you can click off that simply says, I don't want you to tell anybody else that I rented this DVD. And I think it'd be a good idea for uh, people to exercise that. So those are a couple of things to be looking for in uh, the current year. And again, the the onus is on us to opt out rather than on the companies to have us opt in. And I think that's always unfortunate because people don't always see those little buttons to opt out, do they? No, you're right. And in the case of this law, the way I understand it, and it is brand new, is that you have to opt in to give your consent um, to Netflix to allow them to disclose this information about titles that you rent. Oh, okay. But once you have done that, if you wish to not have one particular title disclosed and you've already given consent, then you can opt out and withhold your consent just for that one title. That's the way I understand it's going to yeah. work. I wonder why anybody would opt in for that. 
um, unless, and it doesn't make any sense because if I'm on Facebook and I have Facebook, I don't put anything really personal on there. But if I saw a really wonderful movie, um, I could talk about it on Facebook and just say, I saw this great movie, everybody, you might want to ch- check it out. I don't, why would I even have to opt in for something like that? Well, I'm unless not sure, I got something in maybe return. the two companies can figure out some benefits they're going to provide to people, number one. Number two, maybe there are some imagined benefits that they're going to try to tell us about to get us to agree to that. Yeah. I suspect that the main use will be for further marketing of us based on what our taste is in DVDs. Right, right. Maybe maybe they'll give us something in exchange, and then you could decide if it's worth it. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. What about the negative stuff? I hate to ask about that because it's always... You know, so many things that we worry about in privacy, but what are some of the things that happened that weren't so great? Well, I think that uh, Congress, once again, during the whole fiscal hostility, was able to get together and agree that they wanted to extend the the law on uh, national security wiretaps, Mm. electronic surveillance. They really have bypassed a special court that was set up for that, and uh, in uh, just in the last couple of days before New Year's Eve, uh, the Senate uh, agreed to extend these laws, uh, even though some members of the Senate had come up with some reasonable precautions. I, I think that we're much too loose about how we permit electronic surveillance in those cases. The other bad news is, too, that I think that the so-called security breaches just continue at an epidemic rate. It's amazing to me that companies are not taking precautions, even though some of them are getting punished. Um, we still have so many companies that uh, are being victimized by hacking by either sophisticated or unsophisticated uh, criminals. And uh, we haven't really seen widespread negative results on people, but I think that will happen at some point where when their credit card number or their Social Security number is out there or when their assets are ripped off uh, in a hacking incident, it's going to start to hurt people. And uh, we don't have any federal, really, or state law that requires a particular kind of security precaution that has to be done. What, what the Federal Trade Commission has said so far is that uh, once you post a security policy on your website, you better abide by it or that's going to be a violation of federal law. Um, but uh, the laxness of companies in preventing hacking uh, just really amazes me. And they're not taking basic precautions like... Uh, installing sensible passwords and the like and having firewalls. Yeah. And, you know, then there's also the aspect of the dirty insiders, you know, the unscrupulous employees inside, which are a huge problem with security breaches as well. When people are getting laid off or they're aggravated or they have too much power because only, you know, only the IT people know this. And if they get mad at the company, there's often a problem with the dirty insider. So it is a problem, and you're right. I mean, the the big issue when you have a security breach is you have to disclose it. Right. And um, unfortunately, a lot of the courts have have not really seen a uh, the security breach as a harm. And so that's another reason that we don't have we don't have quite enough teeth to make that much of a difference with these security breaches. I think that's what you're saying, too, isn't it? Yeah. Going back to a little ancient history about 10 years ago, you know, it was California that started this, as you know. Uh, The legislature enacted a requirement that when you had a security breach in your company, you had to notify uh, the people who were affected, and then later it, it was 
changed, I believe, to say you had to notify the Attorney General as well. Yes. That was picked up by virtually every state, and yes. it's now required uh, under HIPAA that regulates medical records, and it's now commonplace throughout Europe, and it all started in California legislature not yep. so long ago. Yep. And and we did offer a carrot so that if if the companies had encrypted the data and made it unreadable, then they didn't have to disclose, only if they didn't encrypt it. So more companies were starting to encrypt data, and I think that did make a difference. It did help, but we're still not there. We're right. still, yeah. I want to go back to when you were talking about the, um, you know, the FISA court, and I would like you to kind of explain to my audience about the FISA court and kind of like what that was all about and how these, um, how this, the wiretapping law has been extended and we aren't protected. I think that's really an important issue. Most people don't know about it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think most people know that in a domestic context for uh, uh, law enforcement or indeed for any private individual to listen in on your telephone requires uh, the consent of one party or it's illegal or it requires a warrant on the part of police. Uh, and when Congress passed that law back in the 60s, they really couldn't decide what to do about that kind of intelligence gathering on, in a foreign context. And they didn't want to have the same probable cause level of proof that would be necessary for uh, intelligence agents. So nothing was done about it until much later. And uh, the solution was to uh, not require probable cause the way a police officer would need, but uh, just the approval of a court in Washington that was highly secret. It virtually rubber-stamped uh, all of these requests, but at least there was a paper record kept if if we ever suspected that this authority was being abused. So this special court had to approve any application by the FBI or the CIA to uh, to conduct electronic surveillance, either in the United States or involving Americans. And the Bush administration, uh, after 9-11, decided that uh, that was cramping their style, And uh, even though the court had never turned down a request. And they just ignored the court and installed these wiretaps uh, on their own. And um, Congress went along with it uh, during the... Uh, election period of 2008, candidate Obama and lots of Democrats voted with the Republicans to uh, make that part of the law that the president and the administration doesn't need the approval of this court anymore to install uh, any electronic surveillance that it claims uh, uh, is used to gather information about terrorists. These precautions, I thought, had been pretty good. They, they, They made sense. They said that wiretapping had to be a last resort and that a record had to be kept and individuals had to be notified after the fact and everything. And much of that has been wiped out now. And this, these liberal changes were, or permissive changes were due to expire this year. And both houses of Congress voted to, uh, to approve them. And that's what's so frustrating because actually the FISA court, like you said, there had been, I don't think, very many refusals. And, and not only that, they could go in the middle of the night to these judges and get this approval. So it wasn't like they could, they had, what, like 72 hours they could actually go ahead and do it, and then within 72 hours they had to get approval or to stop. So it wasn't really that no, it, much it, of a it, burden. It wasn't much of a burden, and, and both the uh, police and, and the intelligence wiretap laws have emergency provisions in them that in an emergency, uh, they can install the electronic surveillance and get the permission later. So, right, right. Uh, there was no 
uh, slowing down, I think, of investigations because of, of these laws. I think they were carefully crafted. And although the um, law affecting police departments is still intact and I think pretty well upheld, uh, uh, with regard to any investigator who utters the magic word terrorism, uh, there aren't enough precautions at all. Right, right. And I, I mean, it was understandable that people had this knee-jerk reaction in, you know, 2001, you know, uh, but now we're, we're like so many years later and we yeah, really we need to... Yeah, we should have matured from that. Yeah, yeah. We, sh- we really should have. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's kind of switch gears and talk about um, stuff that has been in the news lately about uh, Facebook and whether uh, employers can demand uh, to have people give their Facebook password. Because, you know... Everybody's on Facebook, and a lot of people, you know, limit to their friends. And let's let's talk about what's happening with that. I know California's been pretty good about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, well, the, I think we talked about it last time we were together, and there seemed to be, you know, disagreement as to how frequently this was happening, that employers were demanding your Facebook password uh, when you applied for work or when you already had work, and were they also demanding that... Uh, you open up your Facebook page in their presence. And uh, about five or six states, including, I believe, now California, have said no, that uh, employers may not demand uh, Facebook passwords or those from other social media. So that's an important protection that's now in place, although it is only in uh, fewer than 10 states, and it's not by far, I don't think it's even a third of the population is is covered by these. Uh, Another issue has been uh, Facebook's... uh, Privacy rules and privacy settings, they're changing them forever and ever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's impossible to keep track of any of that. I, I think you need a whole day out of your life to figure out the settings and which one works for you. And um, I think it's been totally unfair to users of Facebook. Uh, the company has not been good about privacy at all. They try to get away with as little as they can and don't give really meaningful options to, to, their, uh, to their users. Um, the Federal Trade Commission, as I mentioned, went after them and did assess a significant penalty uh, for Facebook's failure to uh, keep its word with regard to uh, the privacy policies that it promised its its customers. Yeah, not really, not really customers, are they? No, because no, no, no money they're users. Hands. No, no, no. But yeah. Uh, yeah, we all have to be careful. And you know, when you were talking about if uh, having your employer, you know, giving your password, just remember if you're listening, if you're on the campus and you're trying to look for a job, and you have an open Facebook, and you say you show pictures about when you were drunk last week, you know, it's a good idea not to uh, to put those pictures up. But at the same time, if you limit at least in california you're protected if you have a you know if you have it close to your friends but of course your friends can copy those pictures so it's it's a it's the wild west again that we're talking about yeah it is uh kind of the flip side of this is i discovered my local newspaper won't let you post a comment about what's on your web their website or what's in the newspaper unless you channel it through facebook i think that's unfair (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, well, I think we, so. Yeah. We are just about out of time, Bob. Look at how quickly this went. We could we could talk for hours. It's so much fun with you. Why don't you um, give your website real quick and uh, tell us about Privacy Journal? You got like two minutes, a minute. Well, great. It always goes by fast when we're having fun, I guess, and yeah. we get a lot of information <laughs> out there. But people can go to privacyjournal.net, and uh, they can. There's a place there where they can ask for a free sample copy that we'll be happy to send to your listeners. There's also a area there where they can ask questions of me, and I'll try to uh, tell them what 
what the facts are, what the law is, and uh, there's excerpts from our newsletter, privacyjournal.net, and if they don't have access to uh, the Internet, they can give us a call at 401-274-7861, and we'll be happy to send them a sample and try to answer their questions about privacy. Well, you know we love you, Bob, and we appreciate all the great work that you've been doing for so many years, and we appreciate you, and we will have you back again for the next year. Great. I really appreciate your friendship over the years. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thank you. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.